Welcome to Leading the Next Generation with Tim Elmore. I am your co-host, Andrew McPeak, and our mission here at Growing Leaders is to empower the emerging generations with skills to lead in real life. And Tim, today we are celebrating this very important month of women's history yeah, um, and really talking about what is it like to be a female leader. Luckily, we're not going to ask ourselves what yes, it's like to right. be a female leader. We're going to go to somebody really amazing. So I'm excited about that conversation. But let's talk about why we're talking about this today. Yeah, Andrew, we don't talk about this subject as often as we should. Um, it's just always been a reality in my career that there's so many gifted lady leaders around. Why would we not want to say, give us your input? Yeah. Lead us in this way. Um, I remember the first organization I worked for, um, there were so many ladies, it was a nonprofit organization, but there were so many female leaders coming to us to hire and volunteer. And I mean, I can name them off, uh, uh, Colleen, Susie, others. And I kept, I finally asked, how come you were so available? Somebody would have stole you up. And they said other organizations, other nonprofits would not let us lead. Mm. In other words, it was a fairly male-dominated, I think that's safe to say, yeah. arena they were in, community, and they didn't have opportunities. And they came to us because we were open. Wow. And I realized at that point that sometimes tradition yep. holds us back, sometimes history holds us back. We've always had a history of white male leaders. Sometimes our egos, sometimes in a faith-based setting, our theology holds us back. Yeah. So listeners, I just want you to be open at this point. Could it be that there's some very gifted leaders that are a different gender than you, males, yeah. and that they might just be the per right man for the job as a woman, you yeah. know, in that sense? <laughs> so um, I'm even thinking of my marriage to Pam. Yeah. I wanted to be the leader of this marriage, like many males do, and I realized, oh my gosh, she is so gifted and so better than me at so many categories. I would be dumb to say I should do that. Honey, you should do this. You yeah. need to be the one. And it's it's we've had a great marriage. It'll be 40 years this year yeah. that we've been married. And I'm telling you, it's just been a wonderful um, relationship where she leads in those areas she's gifted, and then I'm able to lead where I'm gifted, and it's just been a great mutual partnership. I think that's beautiful. I'm coming up on 10 years myself with my wife, Anna, and yeah. it's exactly the same story of realizing uh, rather than who should be in charge of what, it's realizing what kind of people have entered yes. into this marriage and where are our gifts yeah. and strengths. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's really what I love it is. that. So even here, on our team at Growing Leaders. Andrew, you came a number of years ago, but for a long period, the strongest and really the leaders in the organization were all women, mm -hmm. you know, and um, some have gotten married and moved away and so forth, but it's just, it's been rich for me. And I think the one thing I had going for, I had several things going against me, okay, <laughs> but that's a whole other podcast. That's another podcast. The one thing I had going for, for me is I was emotionally secure enough to recognize you're the one that should lead. Mm. You know, tell us what to put us in, coach. Yeah. Tell us what we should do. So I'm just encouraging as Andrew, you start leading this interview. We've got to be open to the gifted people around us to 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 take their spot. Absolutely, and that's a conversation we continue to have here at Growing Leaders because we could yeah. do better. All of, yes. you know, we right could do better like do any better. organization of continuing to uh, elevate women and, yeah. and and give them positions of leadership, uh, not just because we should, but because they're so gifted That's and right. skilled and all of those yeah. things. So yeah. I'm really excited about this conversation. Well, I had the honor of sitting down uh, with Natri Jones, who is, mm -hmm. um, she's been, her voice has been heard on this podcast yep. a couple of times. She is such 
a brilliant uh, leader, so insightful. In fact, mm-hmm. so insightful that for a number of years now, she's actually been on our speaker team yeah. uh, representing yeah. growing leaders. Uh, she is uh, currently a director at Teach for America, yeah. uh, leading their Atlanta-based uh, work, and just a, fana- a fantastic, phenomenal uh, leader who has so many insights. And so I had the pleasure of sitting down and talking to uh, Natri about what does it look like to be a woman in leadership? What pressures do you face? And how do you sort of overcome those? Uh, she gives a lot of great advice. So let's let's listen in right now on that interview. All right. Well, I am here with Natri Jones. And if you've been listening to the podcast, you've heard Natri uh, on our podcast before, but she is the Managing Director of Teacher Leadership Development with Teach for America, specifically focused in the metro Atlanta area. And she's setting strategy and developing teachers and doing some amazing work, making sure that the students in the metro Atlanta area have access to super quality uh, education. And Natri is also just an incredible leader who I've gotten to learn a lot from uh, over the last few years. So Natri, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat. Me too. Me too. So we're talking today about women in leadership, particularly the challenges and probably frustrations that that, that uh, women often face in leadership. Uh, so probably a lot of what we're going to talk about, there's a whole lot of women out there who are like, hey, uh, you're, you're speaking my language and what I've experienced. But I thought it might be good just to start with context. I wonder if you could start just by telling us a little bit about your own personal journey and what sort of led you to where you are now at Teach for America. So how did your career begin and what has that journey looked like? Gosh, you, you you started asking that question and I started kind of counting like, how long have I been <laughs> in education? How long have I been leading? Yeah. How long have I been doing what I'm doing? Um, and so it's been quite a journey, almost 20 years at this point. Um, and so my background, I feel like always assumed that I would be in education, even when I was running for from it and tried to be a journalism major. And then I came back (laughs) and said, oh, well, maybe I'll, I will teach. And so I started with elementary education and, and then I was like, no, little kids. And so I was a child development major and all of those things. Um, But, you know, all of those in service of just really wanting to um, make sure that kids had opportunities regardless of, of, of where they were in their, in their developmental journey. And so um, I finished my undergraduate degree um, at Texas Women's University um, in 2003. And the funny part about that story, 2002, I finished in December of 2002. And in January 2003, I was living in the metro Atlanta area. Oh, and wow. so I pretty much hopped on a plane, uh, well, hopped in the car with my family who was still stunned that I had decided to make this move. But I just really wanted to be some somewhere different. And it probably took me about a month and a half, two months to find a job. And when I did, um, it was working um, at a school um, in Atlanta public schools. It was an alternative school at the time. Um, And went in as a teacher's assistant. Um, And I spent a couple years there um, starting as a teacher's assistant and then eventually um, leading what were called learning communities at the time. Um, After that, I left and went to... uh, serve as an eighth grade language arts teacher at Harper Archer Middle School, um, where I taught eighth grade for most of my time there. Um, And I just remember, uh, I think the defining moment for me during that time was I was in my classroom teaching, doing what I do. 
or was doing at the time. And one of my colleagues came into my room and she said, what's happening in here? And I said, what do you mean? And she says, um, so there, there's something different about how you're approaching things here and it's not happening across this building. What are you doing? And I, I still didn't know what she was talking about. And she was just basically talking about the learning environment um, and student engagement, you know, um, that was happening in my classroom. And from that moment, I really started to study what I was doing, why I was doing it. I think at the core of it, I knew that I wanted, I cared a whole lot about kids feeling valued, kids feeling cared for, and kids learning. Like we did not play about instructional time in my classroom. And so I, I think she noticed that and wanted me to, to know that she noticed it. And I started to study my practice. And I think from there, I really got heavily involved into mentoring teachers, um, supporting teachers in any way that I could. Um, particularly working in high needs um, schools. I just really loved it. I, I just did. I loved everything about the challenges. I loved everything about navigating those and watching my students overcome obstacles that were placed in their way, even though they shouldn't have been there in the first place. Yeah. Um, you know, it was just fun. It, it, it really was. And some of my best friends um, in my journey um, came throughout that time. And I guess uh, towards the end of my eighth year at Harper Archer, I got an opportunity. I got a call out of the blue uh, uh, from Teach for from a recruiter at Teach for America to ask if if I'd be interested in coming to join their staff to work on their coaching team. Um, and I was intrigued, um, and so I went through the interview process and ended up joining that team um, and have been there ever since. I started. Um, as a coach on the team, um, and then moved into designing professional development. And then now um, I'm leading the team going on now three years. So it's been a wild ride, um, but lots of fun and lots of learning um, along the way. I love the um, the influence and the sort of discovery of the leadership component of what you've done, right? Sort of discovering by accident. I always say the the best consultants and coaches in the world are the ones who somebody walks into their room one day and goes, how did you just do what you just did, right? Uh, it's sort of the, it's almost like you're being summoned to, to take that leadership role. So I love that journey that you've been on, not only of what does really great education look like, but how do I help other people uh, you know, figure out what a, a really functional, great classroom looks like. So that's cool to hear that whole story. Yeah, that was, I mean, I think that was part of why, I, what made me want to join staff with Teach for America um, was because I thought about, well, I mean, I've been in Harp Archer for eight years. I wasn't thinking about going anywhere else. I wanted to stay there and just keep working with the kids and the teachers and keep doing what I was doing. And I think the opportunity to potentially work with more students, more teachers, because at the core of it, I cared about kids having great teachers and I wanted teachers to know that they could be great and believe that they could be great. And I wanted to be a part of that. I love that. I love that. Well, uh, to, to talk, kind of dig into this subject, talking about women in leadership. I mean, like one of the reasons we talk about women in leadership is because often there aren't as many women in leadership. And I know you've done a lot of thinking and, and writing about that. Uh, why is it that we don't find women in leadership uh, roles as often? Yeah, so I'll say two things. I, I think I've been really lucky in my journey 
to have worked with some really, really phenomenal leaders who were women. I, I, all along my journey from even my family, my grandmother, my mother, up to managers um, and, and really, really great, strong women leaders. So I'll say that. And I consider myself lucky because the reality of it is, is that like, I can answer why I think there are women leaders, but I think the people who need to answer that are the people who sit in hiring roles and decision-making roles, who sit in rooms where, the, where everybody looks like them. So I do think there's a responsibility that there's me who's learning how to navigate that and figure out how to break down barriers as a result of that. But there are also people who sit in rooms um, who, who know or who are learning or beginning to realize, hey, everybody in here looks like me. Why might this be? And there are folks who are interrogating their hiring practices and things of that nature. And I think you see a lot of that now, right? 2020, 2021. Now you start to see more and more women, women of color um, being put uh, hired into very high profile positions. And you have to ask yourself, right? They, those folks didn't just get that experience. Yeah. Right? That didn't yeah. just happen last year. Those folks have been talented. Those folks have been doing phenomenal work. And finally, folks are asking themselves hard questions and creating pathways to ensure that there's a pipeline for leadership for women um, yeah, across the board. Well, not across the board. That's, that's a wishful thinking, but in a blue sky world, there are, there are opportunities available to more women, um, as time goes on. I think that, you know, when I think about women in leadership and why that might be, I think it's access. I think, I think it's access to those positions, um, being sought after, for those those positions. And I think, you know, networking opportunities, what does it look like to network? What does it mean to network, even though uh, you have a track record of, you know, uh, success or, or meeting goals and blowing it out of the water and you're innovative and all of those things, there are still bubbles um, that sometimes are spaces that sometimes um, as women, we aren't, we aren't provided access to. Mm. That's huge. Um, one of the things uh, in previous things you've written about this, one of the things I love is uh, when you approach this issue, you talk about how part of it may be that we need to start defining the concept of leadership differently in order to make more space for women in leadership roles. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I can talk a little bit about that. And I think, I mean, I think the, the first thing um, is around, you know, defining moments, right? As a, as a, as a woman, uh, I may have a child and someone is going to ask me how long I'm going to be out. They want to know that or make decisions about how much time I have available to spend on certain things, as opposed to let's just have a conversation about, you know, my vision for myself in my role yeah. And let that be that, right? Nobody's asking you, Andrew, <laughs> or, or, or making assumptions about the work you can or can't do. They're, that's they're, true. Just, they're, they're putting it out there for you. And so I think that's I think that's one thing, right? I think it's just the life experience. And, and, and we have to disrupt this idea of what women are capable of and what women can or cannot do and allow, allow let me decide that. 
let me let me tell you <laughs> what I can or can't do. And I think the other piece, uh, when I think about disrupting this definition of a leader and really unpacking that, is I think about how uh, how what I might say uh, might impact somebody else, right? If I say something, and, and if you say something at, in a very deep voice and you hit a table, you are saying, he's passionate. He believes in what he's doing. He's a man of value. You, you get all of these things. Yeah. If I do that, what is wrong with her? What yeah. she, she is, there's gotta be something going on. Perhaps it's this, all of these assumptions about what it might be. I can't just be passionate and just care about this, this, this particular topic without being assigned um, a negative, uh, without, without a negative connotation being like yeah. wrapped around me and who I am and how I show up. And so I just think we have to do some really critical thinking about what it means to be a leader um, because we, I think we both would agree that a leader doesn't have to be the loudest voice in the room. Yeah. It's the person who sees that moment, who, who sees that bigger picture strategy. It's the per- person who maybe behind closed doors takes that moment to show somebody that, that they care. It's that person who's able to inspire the room and pull people in. It's the person who can just, there's, there's so many pieces and ways that a person can show up. Um, in different spaces that live beyond how they might show up in a meeting. Um, and yeah. I think we just have to really, we have to figure that out. We, we have to think about that um, and be okay with the fact that everybody is not going to show up at the same. And, and in fact, when we create the conditions for individuals to show up as their authentic selves, the outcome, the product, the output, the thing that we put forth is actually going to be stronger as a result of the leadership. I mean, I lead a team now. My, my opinions, my thoughts are often shaped by the, by the team members that I have. Yeah. And the reason why they're shaped by the team members that I have is because I have a team of people who aren't afraid to speak up and say, hey, I disagree with this. Or they aren't afraid to, to put forth a new strategy or a new idea and we have to create the conditions for folks to be able to do that. So I'm not the only leader on my team. <laughs> there are multiple leaders and they show up in so many different ways that we're, and, and we're all so much better as a result of that. I love that. I love that. It, it seems to go in line with when I hear people use um, this phrase that's gotten more popular today is making space for people, right? Um, it, it feels like that's ultimately what we're talking about. It's It's asking the question of, uh, what could I do to create a scenario or an environment in which that person can make their fullest contribution and I'll hear it, right? And that's the big trick is like, uh, when they speak, am I listening? Um, and I, I listen with more than just my ears. I also listen with my body language and all those other things. But I, that's what it sounds like to me is it's really about how are we making space for people from all different walks of life who have different ways that their brain processes information that they're able to contribute uh, significantly. And am I thinking about that consciously? Is that close kind of to what you're talking about? That That's absolutely right. And even as you're saying that, what's coming up for me is just like, and it's an ongoing daily yes. practice. Yeah, You can do it really well on Monday and you can be in the <laughs> tanks with it on Tuesday afternoon. Yeah. And it just makes me think about self-awareness. Um, 
and how you, how much you have to know about yourself and how comfortable and just okay you have to be with who you are and how you show up. Because I mean, if we're really honest about this, a lot of it is ego. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, like, totally. Right when I'm not listening, when I'm not being my best self or showing up in the way that I want to show up, it's a lot of it's rooted in like my own stuff that I might be carrying in that can mm-hmm. keep me from hearing with my heart, with my mind, with my body, whatever, whatever the case may be. Um, and we have to be, we have to be okay. First with noticing that we have to make space for ourselves to notice that we yeah. got to be, be able to make space for ourselves to reflect on that and say, and commit to ourselves about what's going to be different so that when we are engaging in meetings, when we are having one-on-ones with our direct reports, team members, whomever, we're open enough to hear their ideas, to hear how they're going to make our teams better, stronger, um, and and really drive towards the outcome. I know that I'm in pursuit of in my day-to-day work, but yeah, I just think about like, we, we've been doing a whole lot of work uh, around social and emotional learning this year mm-hmm. on my team. Um, and just, I, I'm just really reflecting about how all of these pieces uh, flow together when we talk about relationships, self-awareness, self-management, all of that stuff. So you're getting some of that too. (laughs) Yeah, no. And that's what I love. You know, I was having a conversation with um, one of my colleagues here at Growing Leaders uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And he was like, "Uh, what are we doing on diversity? And I was like, appreciating diversity is a part of this whole thing, right? Uh, Appreciating the differences that we all bring to the table is literally a part of social emotional learning. You cannot be emotionally aware and socially aware of yourself or others without also recognizing the contributions that people who are different from you make. And so it's totally appropriate that this is all, you know, wrapped up together uh, Mm -hmm. because that's the way it feels and the way it is in real life when you're just working alongside somebody. So, yeah. Yeah, you, you you said it so well. I was, I love that you said that. They're they're together. Yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> if you just because if you just want the social and emotional stuff and you're not thinking about who people are, who you are, and what that means, what are you doing it for? Exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, I love that you said that. Yeah, that's good. Um, well. One of the things that often uh, gets brought up and talked about in this is uh, the conversation about women in leadership is often connected to the issues of justice and equality, or in this case, inequality, uh, specifically when it comes to pay. So I wonder, can you just talk about that issue specifically? Mm-hmm. I'd like to hear your opinion. Oh, money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, my goodness, money. I think, you know, I, I think that conversation around pay equity, the research is out there, right? Yeah. The research around pay equity, um, the research around just comparison between degrees, you know, a man can have a high school diploma and he is going to make as much, I'm going to, he's going to make the same as a person, as a woman who has a bachelor's degree. And like, and it's just, and if you start drilling down to women of color, black women specifically, and then of course, if you get into um, our our community members from the LGBTQ plus community, like the it it's just yeah. really 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 inequitable, um, and it's shameful, honestly. Yeah. Um, I think to to think about how hard um, people have to work um, to be paid fairly um, and to be 
uh, able to con- to be expected to contribute right <laughs> at a high level and yeah. to know or to be fairly certain that the person who may be less educated than I am right by if I'm thinking about degrees and things yeah. like that. What did I what did I go to school for? What did I yeah. <laughs> what, is, what is actually happening here? And so I think, um, you know, this is where I where I flip back to the to the start of our conversation when we start talking about like I can talk about like my journey and and things that I've done to to help me to navigate this system. But if we're really being honest, when we have the conversation around pay equity and and like compensation, all of those pieces, that's a systemic issue, right? Those are things that folks who lead hiring processes, folks who are looking to add folks to their team have to sit down and ask themselves some really tough questions about who's not in the room, why, who is in the room, why, what would it look like to really get clear on who has to be at the table when we're making these decisions? And how do we be more, how can we be more transparent about what what success looks like in this role. So that's perform- that's your performance management. That kind of stuff has to be clearer and more transparent to folks. So folks know what they're aiming towards, um, what success looks like, and that they're paid fairly as a result of that. Yeah. And so I think those those things are truly important, but all rooted in disrupting this this idea or this archetype of who can be a leader. Um, and who who deserves to be paid fairly for the work that they're doing? Such important questions, uh, and, and it strikes me that uh, offering that level of clarity, transparency—to use the word that you use—what it does is it breaks down the um, the thing that's happening in so many institutions, schools, and organizations of all kinds where they make the decisions about who's doing a good job subjectively, right? And so then we're um, we're sort of beholden to our own biases. We're beholden to our own, all those things. When those, uh, when those things aren't clarified, when they're not transparent, when it's not clear what does success look like, then, uh, then it often is left up to a person who may not be able to see the full picture, who doesn't understand. And so this is why this is just so important uh, Mm -hmm. uh, as I think about it. So, well, I think it also, I think also it's, there's a responsibility on, on the folks who like as a leader, right. To tell you, you may or may not be doing a good job, right. Equals I may or may not be doing a good job. And yeah. so we go back to that whole self-awareness piece where it's just like, yeah, you have to, you may have to tell your buddy that you hired <laughs> that they're not doing a good job. And also as a leader, you you should have a clear framework for what success looks like in your role too, right? Mm-hmm. That that shouldn't be it, it it has to go all it has to go through all of the layers. And I and I I'm not necessarily committed to this idea that it has to be a hierarchy either. Let me just be clear. I mean, you know, you all the agile structures and things like that. I think are are, are fine, and I think that increases opportunity for transparency. Um, that increases opportunity for folks to have really clear um, goals, really clear um, expectations for what they should be accomplishing or what we should be accomplishing in our, in our work. And so I think that would be 
the thing that that is is important as well. Love it. I love it. Well, we're kind of here at the end. So uh, this has been such a rich conversation. I just wondered if you might wrap up by just giving us maybe some final advice to those leaders who are out there, men or women, uh, mm-hmm. maybe you want to speak to both or, or separately, however you want to do it. Um, but maybe how do we identify, call out, develop, recognize, and eventually, especially hire, as you mentioned, uh, really great women leaders. Um, and whether that's the next generation we're hiring, or maybe we're just hiring, but we're doing it in front of the next generation, which is just as important that they see us do that really well, too. Yeah. Well, I think that that's the connection back to schools and kids, right? It's like, that's what we would want our kids doing. We would want our kids, you know, in spaces where they're where we're super clear with them about what success looks like. We're giving them space to explore and understand what their voice, who, who they are as people, what their voice sounds like, um, and what their leadership looks like. That's the work that I did with the kids in Jackson County. That's the work, you know, that I was doing with the kids in, uh, or the team in Florida when I went up. Uh, was it last year, year before last? It's all running yeah. together. But what I'd say is this. If you, are in, if you are sitting in a management seat and you do any type of hiring, I would say start, just start examining your practices. Look at who you're listening to, who are your key influencers, who are the people who help to make you better, right? Because I think that those are the people that are gonna give you honest feedback and let you know that you got some biases and some gaps. So you need those people. And I would also say, look at your hiring practices. Um, Are you, when you're looking at a job description, you know, are you are you really thinking through who the, what the profile of this person is? And when you're thinking about the interview process, are you thinking about it in a way that sort of pushes against this idea of like, if you can't say things a certain way, if you can't look a certain way, then you can't be on this team. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I'd say to folks who sit in leadership positions who happen to manage people is be clear with your your, your direct reports. Be clear with them, give them very clear uh, feedback rooted in evidence um, along the way so that they know what it looks like to be successful in their role. To folks who are trying to navigate their leadership pathway, what I'd say, oh, I, would, I, would, I have a couple other tips for my leaders. Um, I'd say if for, for if you, when you have folks on your team, particularly women, elevate their work. When they're doing great work, Talk about their work. Give them credit for the work that they do um, and affirm their contributions um, to the company, to the team um, as that happens. And to some, you might hear that and think, well, like, well, why wouldn't I do that for everybody? That's that's the exact question I want you to ask. That is exactly right. Why wouldn't you do it for everybody? And that means that you may not have been doing it for everybody. And so I want you to ask Mm -hmm. yourself and I want you to push yourself to do that. Um, And I'd say encourage folks to apply for stretch roles Um, when you see a role come up. um, Because as a leader, I don't I don't I know that folks on my team um, aren't going to stay there forever. I I actually never encourage them to stay there forever where they want to be. If they want to stay here, do that. But I also encourage them to look at other opportunities as I learn about them and their strengths. I, I help line them up with opportunities. And so I, I'd say encourage your, your folks to uh, apply for stretch roles and, and other opportunities that might elevate their leadership as well. 
And so for my folks who are like me, navigating this leadership journey and just trying to figure out what next, what to do, what don't do as we, you know, work to be better um, is mentorship. The, the folks who help me are, are folks who are mentors. Find some people who you can share with, who will pour into you, who will provide you with uh, feedback, who will affirm you, um, and who will challenge you. Um, and then I'd say share. Share your journey. Share, uh, share with other people the stuff you've, you've gone through um, and share with other people what you've learned. Um, because I think oftentimes people see you in a moment in time um, and, a tr- and make that your entire story. And that is, for me, so far from the truth. Um, and so I'd, I'd encourage women leaders, women in general, um, share your story, whether that's in social media, whether that's um, with your friend groups, whether that is through mentorship, whatever it's through, share your journey, write it down, write your book, um, be on podcasts, do whatever you need to do, but don't be afraid to share your journey because that's how we learn. That's how we grow and that's how we get better. Mm. So good, Nantri. Thank you so much for joining us and guiding us through this really important uh, conversation. Lots of wisdom, lots of insights. So I'm just, I'm really thankful. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Awesome. Andrew, what a great conversation. Nautry is, she's just a great leader. She and, is, and, yeah. Uh, it's, I'm just thrilled that you guys got a chance to sit down together. Absolutely. You know, it's refreshing to meet strong women who welcome opportunities to lead, so they're not afraid to step up, and the males are not afraid to allow them to yeah. take their place. You know, one great case study that we created a habitude around uh, is Mother Teresa. Yeah, who what served, a leader. Oh my gosh, <laughs> this quiet giant, four foot 11, peanut of a little person, but, yeah. but yet, oh my gosh, what a strong leader. And she attracted others to follow her lead, men and women, yeah. uh, because of this great trait that we have called the Calcutta Paradox, and it's all named after her. So most of you know Mother Teresa served the majority of her career in Calcutta. She started as a school teacher and then a head of school, and then began to serve the outcast in on the streets of Calcutta. Those who were in poverty, those who were dying, she wanted them to at least die with dignity. Mm. But she attracted a large following because it wasn't about her tooting her own horn. Yeah. She wasn't arrogant. She wasn't prideful. She didn't have any followers on social media. Well, there wasn't social media, but yeah. even today, if she was around, she wouldn't have... It was about the cause... And I love the fact that she was attractive because she didn't try to wave this flag or sound this gong. It was the very humility that she had just humbly leading that was so magnetically attractive to everyone, different ethnicities, different genders, different backgrounds, different ages. She was the real deal. And that's, in many sense, I, that's what I sense in Nautry. Yeah. So um, I'm thrilled that we've done this today. And so many leaders like Nautry um, are in this position where they are often under-speaking, like yeah. Mother Teresa yeah. did about their role. They're yeah. doing heroic efforts yeah. uh, and kind of uh, taking the posture of humility, yeah, which is right. amazing. We want to celebrate that. But I also want to challenge our our listeners to say, is there a female leader around you today who is under-speaking about yeah. how influential they are, and it is yeah. time for you to step in and go, 
unbelievable, yeah. this person's contribution yeah. uh, to our organization, to our school, to the situation that we're in. Elevate women in leadership yeah. this month and every month, if I can just encourage you. And that's really what this is all about. Uh, those women are often in positions where they're serving like crazy and they're not making a big deal yeah. about it. I think it's time we made a big deal that's about right. what they're doing. Yep. Awesome. Well, thank you, uh, Tim, so much for your insights. Thanks to Nautry for uh, for giving us some of her time and sharing her wisdom with us. Uh, I'd actually love for you to introduce yourself to Nautry. Uh, she has a great landing page on our website. Uh, she's an amazing communicator, and I would like to encourage you, if you want to bring Nautry to your campus or your organization uh, to come uh, talk about leadership, to talk about habitudes, talk about the next generation, or, or whatever you're interested in chatting uh, with her about or having her to your campus, to talk about, head on over to growingleaders.com, uh, click on our, our uh, speakers, and you'll be able to find out more about Nautry and uh, having her come to our cam- your campus. We would love to have her join you there. Uh, well, as always, if you would rate this podcast, give us five stars. That gets their word out about what we're doing here. Uh, if you found this podcast helpful, please pass it along. Share it with a friend, uh, with somebody who you feel like might uh, find it helpful. Uh, if you would like to connect with us online, we are at Growing Leaders and at Tim Elmore pretty much everywhere you are. And then finally, if you've got ideas for this podcast, things you want us to talk about, people you want us to interview, shoot us an email. It's podcast at growingleaders.com. Well, Tim, thank you again. Thank you again to Nautry. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next time.